0: What's going on, y'all? It's J.D. Piquel. Welcome into The Hard Count, the people's show. For every single thing that you know and that you love about college football, it happens here on a daily basis. Nick Brake does the heavy lifting, and you can help drive the show. You can help drive the channel by subscribing to the channel. A lot of what we do here is based on the interaction and feedback we get from you. The audience drives this vehicle. So again, thank you so much for being tuned in with us tonight. We have got a great show lined up. The madness is here. The madness of the college football season that we all have come to know and love is sort of beginning to seep into the regular season. And if you don't believe me, look at where college game day is headed this weekend. On a weekend where Oklahoma plays Texas in the Red River Rivalry or Red River Shootout, whatever you prefer to phrase that like, where A&M and Alabama are going to play, the Jimbo versus Saban saga is on and popping in a very big, real way this coming weekend. Also, you have Tennessee going to Death Valley. Enormous atmosphere. Well, we'll see. It's 11 a.m. and kickoff, so we'll see about the atmosphere. Should still be pretty ruckus, but enormous game, to say the least. And college game day has taken themselves to Loris, Kansas. To play TCU. I cannot wait to watch that game. It's gonna be an awesome environment. They've already, to my understanding, I don't know if they've sold it out, but it will be close to sold out by the time that game starts. The madness is here. And so we're going to break down a lot of what's coming here in week six of the college football season. We're going to talk about Oklahoma and Texas. I know a lot of you care about that game. We're going to make sure we're hit on it. We're going to preview and predict it and tell you what we think the impact is for both teams going forward. We're going to talk about Tennessee going to LSU like we just mentioned a second ago. Game day's not going there, but we're still talking about it. That game has a very big impact on the way the rest of the SEC could shake out. Could have a little bit of an implication on the Heisman race as well. Hint, hint, wink, wink at Hendon Hooker. Also going to talk about South Carolina going to Kroger Field to play Kentucky. That is one of the more slept on rivalries. I will say rivalry. I think that's a fair word to put to it for this coming Saturday. Remember Mark Stoops talking about how he felt like the culture was solid at Kentucky and how he didn't need to put on sunglasses and do a stupid dance or whatever he phrased it like. Shane Beamer actually did put on sunglasses and did do a dance, and his team loved it. I guarantee you that program loved it. Recruits loved it, but there's a little bit of subtle beef there within that rivalry. I'm excited to talk about that as well, a rivalry that has uh, no subtleness to it, and we can call it a rivalry from a personal standpoint, I would say, based on what happened in the offseason, but Jimbo and Saban are about to get after it this coming Saturday, and we're going to break that down and just talk about the implications of how that one could shake out. Could be a backup quarterback affair. We're going to see. And then at the end of this thing, you know how we do it. Against the Suits, five winners in an at-your-own-risk. We're feeling good, all right? We're starting to catch some momentum. You're going to want to make sure you're on board when we catch fire. But before all of that, though, the madness was something we already hit on to start the show. Let's talk about the madness within the Big 12, because I think that is the most noticeable spot throughout the college football landscape that we are beginning to see this madness. So the big 12 is in a wild state of affairs right now. You have a ton of just madness throughout that conference. Like we talked about, Kansas has college game day coming to town for the first time ever. If I were to tell you before the season started, that on a weekend where Alabama plays A&M and Texas plays Oklahoma, Kansas versus TCU, an undefeated matchup, would get game day, you would look at me like I had five eyes on my face. Well, that's not the case, folks, but game day is going to Lawrence for the first time ever, and there's a lot to break down within this conference because as of right now, it looks like if you were to stop the regular season today, you'd have Kansas and Kansas State atop the Big 12 Conference. As of right now, the Big 12 Conference goes through the state of Kansas. Both programs undefeated. Uh, One program has a new quarterback and Adrian Martinez at Kansas State, and he has done phenomenal so far, put on a clinic against Oklahoma. It's wild. I mean, just the fact that we're talking about both those teams being at the top of the Big 12 conference is madness in itself. On top of all that, Oklahoma is winless right now in Big 12 play. 0-2. Dropped one to Kansas State in not that close of a fashion. Dropped one to TCU at TCU, which was in even less close of fashion. So Oklahoma's got issues, and I will be the first one to say it. We were on the Brent Venables hype train. We were on the Dylan Gabriel hype train. We're not jumping off just yet, but we're definitely standing up and ringing the bell saying, hey, maybe we should stop at the next spot and maybe we'll get off. So they got real issues. We're going to break down their game against Texas coming up but to have Oklahoma sitting at where they are right now in the conference I don't think anybody is you know I don't think anybody saw that coming if they're being honest with you then Baylor they have already got two losses one to BYU which will be a conference loss in the future but one real conference loss to Oklahoma State now they won the thing last year with two conference losses so they're not out of it by any stretch of the imagination but a lot of people myself included thought Baylor would be able to sort of tote the undefeated status for a little bit longer And right now, like I said, two losses, not what we'd expected. A big reason for, I think, some of the madness we're seeing is a lot of the newness within this conference. We talked about it in a lot of our preseason shows, but eight of these 10 teams have either a new head coach or a new quarterback. That is a very big deal. The two teams that have a returning starter at quarterback and a returning head coach, Oklahoma State and guess who else? America's team, the Kansas Jayhawks. So the continuity is paying dividends right now as both those teams are continuing to chug along nicely. Both teams undefeated. TCU, I also should have mentioned, is playing really great football. Obviously, they got a new head coach in Sonny Dykes. A big game this coming weekend, but going back to what I was talking about with all of the new things sort of shifting around within the Big 12, anytime there's a ton of turnover in general on your roster that makes for some parity, but to have so much newness at arguably the most crucial spots on your football program at the starting quarterback and the head coach, there's going to be some acclimation period. So all that's to say what you have at Oklahoma, what you have at Baylor, what you have at Texas, those programs that we probably expected a little bit more from in the early going, I'm not ready to sell those programs down the river just yet because what they are in week six is going to be different than what they are in week 10 and beyond. So will this be how it ends up being at the end of the year in the sense of the standings right now? No, probably not. That's not to say we're betting against Kansas or Kansas State. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But the, the newness is very much showing itself in the early part of the season. So don't necessarily send in your votes for who's going to be the conference champion just yet, but keep an eye on those quarterback and head coach developments as this thing wears on. So how does this thing shake out in our opinion? Well, I'm just going to kind of give you a status for the rest of the year for some of these teams that we have hinted at a little bit. For Kansas, the best summary for me is I'm riding the ride just like everybody else. Nobody expected Kansas to be undefeated. I'm pretty sure Vegas had them at like two and a half wins, okay? And they've got five right now. So are we excited about it? Sure, it's super fun. I mean, good for Kansas. They've been down for how long it seems like? Like, they have been a meme from a social media standpoint for the last however many years. Good for them to have some success and good for Lance Leipold to get that program winning. Now, what is something to take a look at is it's fun to root for Kansas as the little guy, and they are great for a lot of likes on social media, like I already mentioned. But what happens when they walk into your stadium and hand you an L? Not so funny anymore, is it? So will this be the way that they go the rest of the season? Do I anticipate them finishing undefeated? Well, I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but right now we're riding the ride. Need to see more from them to totally buy stock and them winning the conference, but they are a legitimate threat as it stands right now, we're going to learn a lot about them against a good TCU team who is really, really solid offensively. Looking at TCU, I think the best way to summarize their situation right now is it's still a work in progress in my estimation. Now, Oklahoma was caught all out of sorts against them. For TCU, are you that explosive offensively consistently? Did you figure something out within your program and your offense to where that's going to be your MO going forward? Or is that one week, one really good performance, and you sort of tail off from then? It sounds funny to say, but I think we'll learn a lot about TCU against Kansas as well. So those two programs, we'll keep an eye on them, but that's how I feel about them right now. For Kansas State, I'm waiting to see more. And it sounds like I'm saying the same thing that I just said about Kansas and TCU because, quite frankly, at week six in the college football season, I am. Sue me. No, don't sue me. Um, But for Kansas State as a whole, I've seen Adrian Martinez make many a mistake at Nebraska. I am so, so happy for the kid for what he's done so far at Kansas State and the way that he's transitioned and fit that offense, complemented their system really well. He's a great one-two punch with Deuce Vaughn. But I'm not ready to buy the stock just yet. Give me a few more weeks. Let me see some more things from them if they can win in different ways. If they don't have their fastball on a certain day, can they still win? I want to see that because that two-lane loss still sort of sits funny with me. It shows me that they're capable of that letdown. Everybody's capable of it, but to have them already have done it this year, I'm not sure how I feel about it. So Kansas State, a team to watch for. I'm still waiting to gather more data. So the big three that we want to talk about, though, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Texas. Oklahoma, unfortunately, I've sold that stock for now. But again, we're on the bus still until we got to jump off for sure. But these three teams, I think, are the most fascinating to talk about to to win the conference. And those are probably the three teams I'm buying stock in. If I had to buy stock today, I'd put some money in each of them. For Oklahoma State, it's been fairly well documented. I am not a true believer in Spencer Sanders. Similar to what I said about Adrian Martinez, I've seen him make too many mistakes for me to feel comfortable about him driving the bus all the way forward to get them all the way there. But experienced quarterback, experienced head coach, they continue to find ways to do it. Had a good defense a year ago. They got a new guy calling the defense now, but they're continuing to play well. Showed me a lot in that win against Baylor. I still have reservations, but I think they're a safe pick if you want to put some stock in them right now. Talking about Baylor, for them, they did it last year, like I said, with multiple losses in conference. Dave Aranda is one of the best coaches in college football right now. Not just the whole rising star thing. I know we like to talk about that. I know he hasn't been a head coach for that long. But today, he is one of the best coaches in college football. Don't believe me. Talk to some of the other programs that were looking for a head coach last year. A lot of them were knocking down Dave Aranda's door with a very big paycheck. So best believe they got the right guy getting that program situated. I really think it is a matter of Blake shaping getting to catch his tempo and and allowing this offense to take that next step. So it's still baking, if you're being honest with yourself, in Waco, but I think there's still some good things there. And I'm not ready to jump off of the the Baylor train just yet. Now, potentially the most fascinating program in this entire conference race is Texas. Now, you remember, I went to Lubbock, took an L back home with them. The big variable, though, for Texas is the quarterback position because you, much like me, watched Texas go out there in the first quarter and really challenge Alabama. Then Quinn Ewers goes down, game kind of changes. They can't stretch the field the same way. It's a different program. It's a different game. Texas, if Quinn Ewers stays in the game, a lot of Texas fans will tell you, they think that that probably is a win for Texas, a program-defining win. So when Quinn Ewers gets back in the lineup, we perceive that to be this coming Saturday against Oklahoma, How dangerous, how much different does this program look? Are they able to score in even more of an effective fashion than they were before, which is saying something? Does that change the confidence of your program? So for Texas, a lot of it lies in the excitement of the unknown of what does adding Quinn Ewers back to the lineup bring for your team? Your defense probably gets more rest with how much you can score and sustain drives. I mean, Quinn Ewers really is a key ingredient that we just cannot overstate when it comes to the equation of texas so again for those three teams i'm buying stock to potentially win the conference oklahoma state baylor and texas i'm i'm pausing for right now on kansas kansas state and tcu but it's gonna be fun the big 12 has got some madness i'm here for it you're here for it much like me we're gonna keep an eye on this thing roll party roll golly that's a fun conference I mean, how about that? We, we thought Oklahoma might be able to pull away and really make some noise, and that hasn't been the case. We were wrong. I'll say it. There's a lot of good football teams in that conference. Deserves a little bit more credit. Staying in the Big 12 Conference, the Red River rivalry is about to go down this weekend. A lot of teams do their rivalry game towards the end of the year, Thanksgiving weekend. Not Texas and Oklahoma. They say, put us on center stage, week six, in front of everybody. We want to play our rivalry game. This is going to be a fun one. Both programs in a different space right now. Texas favored by six and a half. Oklahoma is limping, which is even being a little bit kind, into this football game. Dylan Gabriel, I can't imagine he plays in this football game, given everything that's happened in the NFL with the Tua Tagovailoa situation. Went through a concussion protocol. Brent Venables is keeping it close to the vest. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Dylan Gabriel probably isn't playing in this game. For Texas, dropped a game to Texas Tech. They looked solid last week against West Virginia. The difference is Quinn Ewers is likely back in this game. Pete Famel has reported on it. Our people at inside Texas have communicated with us, and and we're going to call this game like we think Quinn Ewers plays. All right, I'll leave it at that. For Oklahoma, like I said, they're on their last leg. And in a rivalry game where you've lost two games before this, and really just, let's call it what it was, embarrassing fashion, especially defensively, I think they're a little bit dangerous. And you're saying, whoa, how are you saying they're dangerous? They just gave up 360 yards of rushing to TCU. Well, friend, what I will say is anytime you are on your last leg, If if you're you're an animal and you are just sort of limping and you're wounded and this is about to be, not to be morbid, this is going to be the end for you, you are going to give one last aggressive kick and claw at whatever it is that's up against you. And for Oklahoma, they're going to give their last kick, their very best effort against Texas. So for Texas, on the other hand of that, on the other side of things, they got a golden hat kind of opportunity right now. Because everybody in that Texas fan base sees Oklahoma limping and wounded. And the Texas fan base, God bless them, they didn't forget last year and the way that thing went down. You know what they're saying? They're probably chanting it actually is finish them. Do it. Take care of business. There's no mercy on that Texas side. And that's the beautiful thing about the rivalry game. It's really teeing up for Texas to, I think, take over. It's teeing up for Texas to take over this game, take over the situation because what Oklahoma lacks defensively is just perfectly set up for Steve Sarkeesian as an offensive coach and an offensive mastermind. So some hinge points in this game. Let's just go back to the breakdown. Can Oklahoma, if they were to win this game, I think it has to be this. Can Oklahoma make this game just gross? What I mean by gross, I mean, low scoring. I mean, lots of turnovers, I mean, offensive efficiency is just next to nothing. Like, that is the kind of game that I think Oklahoma has to try and force. Now, the question I have is, for Oklahoma, they're a really aggressive team defensively. That's Brent Venable's blueprint. They have been aggressive these last two weeks and gotten burned. They have swung hard. They have whiffed hard. They have missed. And it has been embarrassing. How aggressive are they going to be against Texas? Because like I said, they probably have to be a little bit aggressive to try and force some turnovers and create some chaos. But on the other side, like I said, if you swing and you miss, you're going to allow a lot of points to Texas. So I think the early going of this and how that defense tries to attack Quinn Ewers and company will be very, very critical. Because if it's a a clean game, if Texas is able to sort of sit back and they don't turn the ball over, maybe they go out on downs a couple of times, if it ends up being a clean sort of game, neither team turns the ball over too much, special teams isn't really a factor, Quinn Ewers is going to have target practice. I hate to say it, but that's just the reality of what it is. Texas feels really good about what they have on the outside. They feel really good about Xavier Worthy. Had his coming out party in this game a season ago, they think he could put up the same kind of numbers in this game. So a clean game favors Texas for Oklahoma. Can you make it mucky? Can you make it just a disgusting game, low scoring? You're probably not playing with Dylan Gabriel, so the quarterback situation doesn't favor you. You make it just a messy game. That's how I think Oklahoma has a chance in this one. The other hinge point for me is, can Bijan Robinson be a catalyst for Texas? We talked about Texas liking their matchups outside. That's true. But a lot of what they want to do offensively is off the run-pass option. That is like the bread and butter for Steve Sarkeesian in this offense. And the run-pass option is predicated on being able to run the football because then you have the option to throw off of it because the linebackers are trying to come up and play the run, and then you have big plays behind it. In the most simplistic form, that's how this thing works. So there's questions about Texas's interior offensive line. I know there's been good numbers from Bijan John Robinson, but talking to some people closer to that program, there is – a marginal level of concern for what they have in the trenches there. And so obviously this would build confidence going forward for Texas, which is a big deal, but just for this gameplay itself, to have Bijan Robinson be over the 100-yard mark again, to be able to dictate that tempo again to Oklahoma and wear them down, I think that would do a lot for the psyche of this Texas team, and I think it would equally impact the psyche of this Oklahoma team. Because how many of you know, if you're a safety, if you're a linebacker, any sort of defensive player, And you have to come up and tackle B. John Robinson time and time and again. And he's picking up five yards. He's picking up three yards. It's a seven yard. The dam can only hold up for so long before B. John Robinson's busting off a 40-yard touchdown run. Or, God forbid, even longer. So for Texas, can B. John Robinson be the bell cow for you for this game? That's only going to make things even more noticeable on the outside. Only cause those safeties to creep up even more. And then there's even bigger plays in the pass game. So that'll be crucial for this game. The final hinge point for me is who responds to momentum swings. Because Oklahoma is down bad right now. You know it. I know it. The phenomenal people that watch this channel, Norman, Oklahoma, they know it. And does a momentum swing early towards Texas take the last bit of air out of this Oklahoma team? It may not be for the rest of the season, but just in this game. The habit of losing is a real thing. It hurts on the very beginning, like it hurts on the front end, and it's tough. I mean, that loss to Kansas State stung, I promise you. But the unfortunate reality is you get used to it. And so if Texas draws first blood, like I said, and gets that first swing of momentum, does Oklahoma lose a little bit of fight? I don't think that's the kind of program that Brent Venables is running. But I think it's fair to ask the question, how do you respond to Texas throwing the first punch in a time where you've had a lot of punches thrown at you, just to be real? Now, on the same token, for Texas, that's sort of been the question around this program, right? What's the culture like? What's the competitive maturity like? What's the competitive stamina like? You do it one week against Bama and then the next couple weeks you go to Lubbock and you get an L there. Like that wasn't the same team that showed up in Texas tech and the one that was playing uh, against Alabama and Austin. I understand the quarterback situation was different, but we got to be real. The psyche of this program is something that we have talked about for a long time. Well, before this show was a reality. So in a game that you really should win based on what Vegas is saying for Texas, can you do what you're expected to do? Can you handle that kind of pressure to beat a team that you thought you should have beat a year ago? The competitive maturity to not be dictated by the logo across from you for Texas is what I'm watching for very closely in this game. Pressure is a privilege and a little bit of pressure is on Texas right now. Can they handle it? I'm excited to see. When it comes down to our prediction for this game, it's unfortunate, but I think Oklahoma is just in a really rough spot right now. No Dylan Gabriel likely is a very big deal. You got guys like Javante Barnes, Eric Gray. They've toted the rock well for you. But at the end of the day, if Quinn Ewers is back in this game, and we fully believe that he will be, Texas should be able to score in bunches. If Texas scores in bunches, that puts pressure on Oklahoma to respond with their offense. No knock on Jeff Lebby and no knock on what they have there in the cupboard at quarterback, but I don't think it's enough to score with Texas. So at the end of the day, we think that there is a little bit of fight early from this Oklahoma team. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma doesn't have the firepower to match Texas. Texas wins this game 31-17. to We like the Longhorns to get it done in the Red River rivalry. So Oklahoma is going to be okay long term. I want to make sure I also mention that while we're on air. I believe in Brett Venables. I believe in Jeff Levy, I believe in the system. I believe in their culture. This is not a fatal blow to to Oklahoma if they lose this game. It's not. It would steady the ship a lot if they could win it, but it's not fatal for them to lose. The future is going to be okay in Norman. Don't pound the alarm for the future, but this season you might have to kind of go through those growing pains. It's unfortunate, but it's the reality. The next game on the docket, you got the Tennessee Volunteers going to Death Valley for an 11 a.m. Central kick against the LSU Tigers. This is going to be a fun one. Ranked matchup and a lot riding on this game for Tennessee. Coming off a bye week, you beat Florida the week before in checkered, kneeling, you're feeling good, you're getting yourself a little bit more healthy. There's a lot of confidence around this team. There's a lot of confidence, and they have earned the right to have that confidence. They've earned the right for this game to mean something for them. We talked about it last time we checked in on Tennessee, but they have now allowed themselves to play a lot of meaningful games in October. And the stretch is going to be wild for the Volunteers. They go, obviously, at LSU this weekend. They go, they have Bama at home, play UT Martin, but then they go to Kentucky and to Georgia. That stretch outside of UT Martin is going to be the gauntlet. So for Tennessee, this is kind of going to be the next building block that you got to lay down to then you have Bama and so on and so forth, like the schedule that I just mentioned. But it's the chance to climb another rung for this program. And we talk about it. Each win can mean as much as they allow the next one to mean. What I mean by that is if they beat LSU, well, then it lines up for, okay, that's going to make the Bama game mean more. You play Bama, let's say you beat Bama, you play UT Martin, that Kentucky game means a lot more, and that's privilege. Like we've already talked about, the pressure is privilege. You earn the right to play in big games and have a lot of people watching your games. You earn the right to have a lot of recruits watching your games, and I promise you they'll be watching this one, regardless of if they're there or not. For LSU, they're cautiously optimistic. It's been a little bit of an interesting year for them in year one under Brian Kelly. A lot of slow starts offensively. Defense has played really well. And a lot of games where it feels like the offense is sort of slouching back. Just kind of hanging back in the game. And then, oh, it's second half? Oh, you need us to really play well? Okay, we're going we're gonna to lean forward here. And we're, we're locked in. That's the way it feels. I'm curious to see how they start in this kind of a game where a really formidable opponent shows up in Tennessee. Not to knock Florida State, not to lock Mississippi State, not to knock Auburn, but the glamor of a team like Tennessee coming to your house to play, I think that could maybe get LSU's attention a little bit more early. So we'll see what happens there. The hinge points for this game, like we just alluded to, what happens in the first quarter? Because if you're LSU, you can't afford to go down 17-0 to to Tennessee. That's just the reality. I understand that you were able to do it against Auburn. You were able to climb back in the game and almost play for overtime against Florida State. Tennessee's got the number one ranked offense in the country. If you go down two scores to them, if you go down 17 points to them, it's going to be real hard to climb back in, especially with what you have exemplified offensively. It's going to be hard to score with them. That's just the reality. Cedric Tillman for Tennessee is going to be monitored. Personally, I'd be very surprised if he played in this game. But even with him out, they've got some dudes all over this offense. Brew McCoy, Jalen Hyatt, Jabari Small. Henan Hooker is going to be in the Heisman race if it were to be given out today. I don't think it's a question of whether or not you give him the award. Maybe it's between him and Bryce Young. You understand what I'm saying. Hennon Hooker is a dude. He's going to give you issues. You can't go down early if you're LSU. You've got to throw a punch, and you have to be at least in it in that first quarter. Because if you're not in the first quarter, and if you go down, let's just say that at the end of the game, or excuse me, end of the first quarter, it's 10-0. Well, then where does that pressure go? It goes back to the offense, right, which is not anything new for LSU. But with how much Tennessee can score and how much they're going to score, you then ask your quarterback, Jaden Daniels, to do something he hasn't done just yet against Power 5 competition. Last week against Auburn, it's well documented, threw for 80 yards. Had five yards in the second half against Auburn. Credit Auburn, they did some good things defensively, but of the eight completions he had, five of them were to a running back or a tight end. What? Like, like, that's a real stat. Are you serious? With all the guys that they supposedly have a wide receiver, they need to find a way to get them the football. That's another point we're going to get to in a second. But I'm just saying, you don't want to be in a situation where you're asking Jaden Daniels to go out there and try and air it out to win the game for you. Because that would, again, be something that he hasn't done. Really good with his legs. Think that'll play a factor. But you don't want to ask him to go out there and throw for 400. Because if you do, I think you find yourselves in an uncomfortable spot if you're LSU. So the next question then, for Jaden Daniels, what kind of approach does he take to this game? Talking to some people from the Bengal Tiger over there on our On3 LSU site, Matty B, Shea Dixon, they do an elite job covering that program. I was picking their brain about this game this coming weekend and the sentiment between the two of them was the same. Jaden Daniels, Doesn't need to throw for 400, 500, but he has to unhitch the wagon with trying to push the ball vertical. Credit Jaden Daniels. He's done a great job taking care of the football to this point in the season. With that being said, taking care of the football and not getting it to the best players on the field vertically is not a good thing. Okay, I I think I'm not going to speak for Brian Kelly, but I think he would take one interception. If he's going to take some more shots downfield and try and find Keishon Butte, try and find Malik neighbors and push the ball vertically, even just trying to do that forces your defense to have to honor those guys. And I think on top of that, if it's not going to be vertical, like let's just say that Jaden Daniels doesn't push the ball 30 yards downfield, doesn't take as many deep shots downfield. That's okay. But the flip side of that is these guys still need to see the football. There's some hungry, hungry mouse that need to be fed. Keyshawn Butte has less than 100 yards receiving on the year. What? To have one loss as LSU and to have your best player arguably only have 90 plus yards? It's impressive, but it can't be the way that this goes against the better competition. Against Tennessee, he needs to be a part of the action. It's just the case that it is. So back to the point I was making, if it's not downfield, it's got to be in the slant game. It's got to be in the intermediate game. Hit him on a dig, hit him on an out route. There's got to be some sort of concerted effort to get your best players to football. Football is a relatively simple game made complex by stupid people. I'm not knocking Coach Denbrock or Brian Kelly. I'm just saying let's not oversimplify this thing. Just as a whole, get Keyshawn Butte the football and allow Jaden Daniels to have easy throws to that man. And Jaden Daniels, pull the trigger, brother. It's got to happen. You got to get the ball to those playmakers just the way that it is. If he can do that, you make a lot more people happy around you. You have a better chance to win this game. Just a lot of things go your way if you're able to make that happen. So the final thing that I'm looking at in this game, Tennessee's offense is really good. It's not novel analysis. It's just a fact. Tennessee's offense is one of the best in the country. and Hooker, for my money, again, one of the best in the country. No Cedric Tillman last week for them against Florida. No problem. Well, two weeks ago, no problem. Still racked up tons of offensive yardage. Did a lot in the passing game. Henry Hooker's that guy. What they want to do offensively is establish the running game and then ideally loosening up that front seven to throw the football. That's kind of how this thing operates for Tennessee. Now, in this game, it may be a little bit more reversed with trying to throw to set up the run, but bottom line, running the football is going to be a key ingredient for tennessee in this football game now the luxury for lsu is they got a really good front four and a really good front seven if you want to take it a step further harold perkins a freshman we told you about him on this program before in our spring intel segment we told you he's a guy he's been a guy thus far i'm curious to watch that battle because like we talked about with that florida game if tennessee's having trouble establishing the run and it goes on for two quarters well, then that just gives LSU time to sort of get the wind under them, get their legs under them, figure it out offensively, and it's a lower scoring game. Now, the other side of that is if they just say, forget the run game, we like our matchups outside, can they get to Hendon Hooker? B.J. Ojalari was at one point in time a committed player to Tennessee. Obviously, he's not. He's at LSU. He's going to have his work cut out for him. They got to get to Hendon Hooker. They got to find a way to make him uncomfortable. This unit, a season ago, the Tennessee offensive line, they were not great protecting him. They've been substantially better this year. But te- for LSU, that's one of your opportunities. That's one of your potential edges in this game if you can get to Hendon Hooker. Because regardless of how much Tennessee likes those matchups outside, regardless of how good they feel about Brew McCoy and Jalen Hyatt, if LSU gets to Hendon Hooker before he can even have a chance to throw to those guys, well, then advantage LSU. So that's a big hinge point. Does and Hooker have time to operate? And then on top of that, do they have the luxury of getting the run game going early to even make those matchups on the outside more noticeable and more evident and then have big plays come off of that? That's what Tennessee wants to do. At the end of the day, though, this game is being played in Death Valley, and it's a little bit earlier. So the atmosphere is different than it would have been at night. If it's at night, you probably have people that have just been going at it all day long, ready for some football, places packed, crazy atmosphere. Tennessee plays in the morning. Excuse me. Well, they play this morning, but they they practice in the morning. They're accustomed to having a quick start early in the day. How much does that mean? remains to be seen, but I think it's worth noting. Going back to the atmosphere, there's probably going to be a little bit more of a toned down death valley for 11 a.m., just from what we're hearing. I think Tennessee just has too much firepower. I think they're going to force the issue and score points early. And then Jaden Daniels, I think does have a little bit more success downfield. I think that he out of just necessity has to try that they have some success, but ultimately with what you're doing at Tennessee, with how many points I think they're going to score in the if they like on the outside. I think Tennessee wins this game 31 to 21. And then that becomes the thing at Tennessee, right? Okay. Check that one off. Next one means even more. Even more more eyes on us at Tennessee. Josh Heupel has even more fodder to use when it comes to the recruiting game. This thing is continuing to build. It's like a tidal wave. With each win, a little more energy, a little bit more surge. For LSU, looking down the road, this year was more of a let's see what we can do kind of year under Brian Kelly. It's not what it's going to be. You have a quarterback that Shay Dixon, I think, put it really articulately on their podcast that you have now rented. But at the end of the day, LSU is going to be fine down the road. And this one, Tennessee just further along, better offense, too much for LSU. They forced the issue. Tennessee wins this game 31-21 to in Death Valley. I love the fact that game's early. So you get spaces with us, college game day, and then Tennessee at LSU. Going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for that one. We got South Carolina heading to Kroger Field to play Kentucky. Kentucky is favored by 10 points in this game. Like we talked about already, a very sneaky rivalry. Mark Stoops, he said it in the offseason. We don't need to wear stupid sunglasses and do a dance to feel good about ourselves. I'm paraphrasing. That's kind of what he said. Pretty direct subtweet at Shane Beamer. I mean, there's not really anybody else that's wearing sunglasses and doing dances for their program. All right, I'll leave it at that. So there's a little bit of juice behind this one. For South Carolina, they're trying to hit the reset button. They're trying to course correct. Started out really, really funky. Had a tough three-game stretch to start the year. They had Georgia State, Georgia, and Arkansas. It's a really tough recipe, honestly, if if you're South Carolina. So they had two get-right games now. Took care of business in both of them. This is going to be, for them, the fork in the road that they can sort of restart their season and be who they want to be. So we'll see what happens. For Kentucky, they really felt like they should have won that game against Ole Miss. And they had every opportunity to. They got within Ole Miss territory multiple times, couldn't finish, end up going home with an L, just the way that it is. They got to find a way to wash this one away. Every single year under Mark Stoops, they have had back-to-back losses. So can they break that streak? Can they get off the schneid, get back right, and come with it in this game? Because it should be a really good atmosphere more on that in just a little bit my question for this game largely surrounds spencer rattler because if he's the one that dictates south carolina winning this game if south carolina has to win with him rather that means a couple of things first it means that kentucky took away the run game which i anticipate them doing even without uh jaquez hunter i think they have a lot of guys that are going to be able to to do some really good things for them Um, DeAndre Square is one of them. He is a dog. I'm just curious to see how much they ask of Spencer Rattler. Because if they're going to take away the run game and you still want to dink and dunk down the field, well, that's not good. You're going to have very real issues if that's the way that you try and play this game. For Kentucky, if you're able to take away the run game, that's, again, how you want to play this game. You want to make a Spencer Rattler deal. But for Spencer Rattler to beat Kentucky, I think he's got to have some mobility mixed in there. He's got to keep him honest because he's a pretty good athlete. People forget he's able to do some good things with his legs. Spencer Rattler is a very big variable in this game for both programs, obviously, because before they got into those two get-right games, I think he had thrown like five interceptions, two touchdowns. It's not good, to say the least. Very, very much not good. When I look at the Kentucky side of things, a lot of it hinges on their offense. A lot of it hinges on... What can they do to protect Will Levis? The offensive line, just calling a spade a spade, didn't do a great job protecting him last week. There were multiple times where Will Levis was not able to get to his second read. There were multiple times where he was having to run for his life when really he shouldn't have had to. They got to do a better job protecting him. So how do they do that? I think some of it comes with offsetting the South Carolina defense. Can you hit him with a deep play early? Can you get Barry and Brown involved deep? Can you get Dane Key involved deep? Because one deep play early, guess what that does? The entire South Carolina defense then has to honor that. Then you can't just bring a corner off the edge. Then you can't just go zero coverage. Then you have to play a little bit more honest. And when you play more honest, well, then you can, one, have more time to drop back and pass, advantage Kentucky, You also have the ability to run the football effectively, which is something they've been trying to get going. They now have Chris Rodriguez back in the lineup for the second game. I don't want to say he was rusty, but there's something to getting into the game action. I think that's very real. Chris Rodriguez has been really good historically against South Carolina. They're going to try and get that working. So all of what they want to do, in my opinion, can be much more readily available if they hit something deep early. So I'd test that. On top of that, with Chris Rodriguez, if they can get him going, the play-action game gets going. You see what I'm saying here? A lot of prongs to this thing come from some early success offensively for Kentucky. But we're talking to the people over there at KSR, or Kentucky on three site. The feeling is, Kentucky is the better team. Vegas feels that way as well. The question is, how close does Kentucky allow this game to be with what their offense does? Because if the offense wants to continue to struggle early and they allow Will Levis to get sacked a lot and he has no time and he's sort of a non-factor, well, then South Carolina has a chance to sort of get their window to them, be able to sort of get get their stamina, and ultimately, that's going to favor South Carolina long-term. Because you give teams four quarters to figure it out, most of the good ones can figure it out. And Marcus Satterfield, regardless of what you think about him as an OC, you give him four quarters, to eventually get sorted out what you're doing defensively because the offense can't score points, they're going to be in trouble. So at the end of the day, I really do think that the playmakers for Kentucky are the difference. Barry and Brown, Dane Key, Tavian Robinson, those are three dudes. And if it just takes one play to break this thing open, I think that's going to be the case. Now it has to be early, like we talked about. But going back to this atmosphere, this is a night game for Kentucky. It's already sold out. There's a little thing that happens near Kroger Field called the Keeneland Races. And the Keeneland Races is a thing that happens in the morning, and people go to the racetrack. They, let's call it what it is, they get rowdy. After getting rowdy, they go to the football game, they continue to be rowdy. So fire starts in the morning, fire burns all the way to game time, bonfire. All right, a big play would just be another piece of wood thrown into that bonfire and could make for a lot of trouble for this South Carolina program. So at the end of the day, we like Kentucky to win this game. We think they cover by just a little bit, 28-17. to 17. Mark Stoops in his program get back on track. Wildcats win at Kroger Field. I said Jaquez Hunter there. I think it might be Jaquez Jordan, but nonetheless, roll party roll. And if it's Jaquez Hunter, then we knew the whole time. Last game I want to break down, and this is a little bit less of a breakdown and more of just a talking point as a whole. Texas A&M going to Alabama. Bama's favored by 24 and a half. You say, why are you breaking down this game? It's 24 and a half points favoring Alabama. Because of the storylines within it, my friend, are so, so interesting. Us as college football fans, we all saw the press conference war that happened. It wasn't really a press conference war. Nick Saban held a function or there was a function that Nick Saban was at talked about NIL talked about how he feels like NIL is impacting recruiting and off the cuff made a comment about A&M quote-unquote buying their recruiting class okay let's paraphrase him but more or less what he said Jimbo Fisher then the next day jeans and all calls an emergency press conference and just unloads the clip on Nick Saban and said a lot of things about how he runs his program. Said a lot of things about the way he does things. So we had this day circle for a while. Will Anderson was asked about it at SEC Media Day. And he just said, we're going to handle it on the field. And Will Anderson is a bad dude. I don't think he's the kind of guy that you want going after you. He's going after whoever playing quarterback for AM this coming Saturday. The pressure is back on AM after their loss to Mississippi State. No matter how you slice it, that's the reality. Max Johnson is day-to-day with a thumb. Haynes King came into the game against Mississippi State and did not look good, to say the least. We'll see what happens there, but I'm going to break this game down as if Haynes King is your quarterback. Spoiler alert, I don't think it matters a ton. Not to be disrespectful, but I think that's the reality. For Alabama, similar situation at quarterback, They have Bryce Young right now as listed uh, as questionable. I think he's day-to-day more or less. But Jalen Milrow, if Bryce Young can't go, is your guy for Alabama. Now, reason why that's important, because we saw the offense and the way that they sputtered early on against Arkansas. And it's very evident that Jalen Milrow, no discredit to him, isn't Bryce Young, most noticeably in what he does throwing the football downfield. Now Bryce Young has a Heisman, excuse me Bryce Young has a Heisman Trophy at home on his mantle, so I don't think that that's too big of a knock on Jalen Milrow. But he brings a different skill set to the table, and a lot of it isn't really throwing the ball downfield. Jalen Milrow is a super super elite athlete. We've seen the video of him hand cleaning. I think it's like three hundred and thirty plus pounds, just freakish. A lot of people were saying, "Well, he's in the SEC. That's not even that much weight." You and I both know 330 pounds, regardless of your position, much less a quarterback, is a really impressive hankling. clean. That's stupid explosive. So he's going to be a weapon for them. But if Bryce Young can't go, Alabama will call a different offense. So I'm not so much concerned with the things we saw last week from Jalen Milrow not throwing the ball vertically as well because he was running an offense that was built for another player. This week, if it's Jalen Milrow they are going to be a lot more zone read, a lot more design quarterback runs, and that's going to complement him as well as whoever you want playing tailback, whether it's Jameer Gibbs, whether it's Jason McClellan. Pick your poison. Both freak shows, Jameer Gibbs popped in a big way last week, 270-plus yard touchdown runs. Could have been longer if they had elongated the field. You get what I'm saying here. It's trouble with Jalen Melrose in the game, but in a different flavor. So if A&M is going to win this game, how would that happen? You need chaos. Similar to the Arkansas game, Jalen Milrow and KJ Jefferson, different players. I think it's a similar scheme. You would need to have a way to just transparently, I think you need a defensive score. I think from a momentum standpoint, you need that. I think from what you're not going to have offensively, you need that. You need chaos. You need turnovers. A defensive score would be a big area of emphasis for me if I'm Jimbo Fisher. Maybe you could also substitute a special team score in there. Bottom line, got to find a way to get uh, hidden scores, hidden possessions. Big, big deal for Texas A&M. On top of that, I think you also need to find a way to sell out to stop the run. In this assumption of A&M winning the game, Bryce Young isn't playing. If Bryce Young is playing, probably a whole other conversation to have. But assuming Jalen Monroe plays, you got to sell out to stop the run and force Jalen Monroe to beat you. Force him to throw the football because with the little data that we have on him, we've seen he struggles to push it downfield. So if you can throw the kitchen sink and find a way to stop the run, which full transparency, AM hasn't really done that effectively lately. But if they could commit extra guys, whatever you got to do to stop the run and make him throw it, that's what you have to do. 24 and a half points for a reason. But that's one of the big things that would have to happen. Offensively, it's no secret. I don't feel great about whoever's playing quarterback, especially if it's Haynes King. A-Chain has to take over, has to create for you second and five, has to create for you third and three. Manageable situations, and then on top of that, he needs to see the ball a lot in the pass game and a lot in the run game. He needs to be the guy that is the catalyst for you to win this game. Take the pressure off whoever's playing quarterback. Noah Nia Smith, Evan Stewart's a dude, but Devon A-Chain is your guy that's going to allow you to win this game if it is the way that's going to go for A&M. So that's how that would happen. Now, what do we think will happen? I think if it's Bryce Young or if it's Jalen Milrow, I don't know that it matters quite as much as people want to say it does. I think Jalen Milrow, with a full week of preparation and a great scheme put in place by Alabama, will thrive. He's at Alabama for a reason. I don't think I need to say a ton more. It compliments him. Compliments Jameer Gibbs. Does the pass game get going as much? Probably not. But a again, they haven't proven they can stop the run. So you got another quarterback coming down at you, probably have issues anyway. That's probably what I would see happening with Jalen Morrow. On top of that, I think the Bama pass rush overwhelms whoever's playing quarterback. Will Anderson is a bad dude. This game is personal to him with the way that Jimbo Fisher came after Nick Saban. It's, it's going to be a very much so emotionally charged game have a feeling that Tuscaloosa will give a very warm welcome to this Texas A&M football program all game long. So let's just talk about this. I think Bama's is going to win the game. I have a hard time believing they're not going to cover 24 and a half is a lot. I think Bama's is going to do everything in their power to score as much as possible. And I don't think they're going to take their foot off the gas. Someone said it really well on college game day. If It's 98-0. to You could see Bama going for two. Just the way that that thing's going to shake out. So let's say it does happen that way. What do you say for Jimbo Fisher? I mean, I was reaching for words just then. I think the same thing would be true for Jimbo Fisher if a game like that goes that way. Because there was a lot of excitement when they beat Alabama last year, and there was a lot of belief that came from that win, but if Bama just takes them to the woodshed, I think you really start to test that culture because that buzz and that heat that was kind of around the program and all of the chatter around Jimbo and his offense, that gets turned up yet again. Because that'd be two losses in a row. They do not look great against Mississippi State. Assuming Bama takes care of business and Bama does what Bama does, that doesn't look good. What happens to this conversation around Jimbo Fisher? The honest answer is I don't know. But the fact there's a conversation I think says something. He's not going to get fired. I'll just say that right away. He's not going to get fired. They're not going to throw him out the door. It's not how they're going to get down. They've paid him a lot of money and a lot of money for a reason. He's done some good things other places. But I think you have some very real conversations about potentially play calling responsibilities. I think you have a conversation about your staff. There's a lot you're looking at. A total reassessment, in my opinion, would take place in the near future, if not after the season, for Texas A&M. So our pick in this game, I think the tide roll. Don't think it's particularly close. Don't think it matters who's playing quarterback for either team. We like Bama to win. We like Bama to cover. Not a fun segment to do, to be honest with you. A&M is a program that has done a lot of things well, especially on the recruiting trail. With all the classes they've stacked now, it's beginning to become a little bit concerning now I was here saying hey next year's probably the year you can expect more from A&M this year we were always a little bit uncertain about their quarterback situation Connor Wegman's still there so you have a conversation if it goes the way that it goes but if it's close maybe there's some more encouragement I don't know we've talked that one to death but we'll see what happens there we like the tide to roll all right let's finish the thing up against the suits is back and we have got five winners, and one at your own risk. I go back and forth about whether or not to include the at your own risk against us when it comes to some of these picks, but we take it if it's a win. Without further ado, let's get into it. Appalachian State has been a money machine for us. They're 19 and a half points favorites at Texas State. We took uh, James Madison last week against Texas State. Sorry, Texas State. No knock on the Bobcats. We like App State in that one. We think they keep it rolling. Talking about James Madison, they go to Arkansas State this week. 11.5-point favorites. JMU, they're great against the spread. You don't take your hand away from an ATM. We're not doing it against JMU. We think JMU covers. Roll party, roll, roll Dukes. Our third pick, we're at Kentucky minus 10 against South Carolina. Mark Stoops is 8-1 against the spread against South Carolina. How much does that really mean? I don't know, but I'm not going to turn my back on history right now. I think they win that game. I think they win it by 10. Or excuse me, I think they win it by more than 10. We like them to cover that spread. Our fourth pick, we like North Carolina to cover plus 4.5 at Miami. Miami, you remember correctly, was down bad against Middle Tennessee. I'm not so much sold on what they're doing offensively just yet. They'll get it together eventually, but I think Drake May is that guy at North Carolina. like them to cover that plus 4.5 they may win that deal outright. Drake may is slinging it, but nonetheless, we like them plus four and a half. Our last pick, we like Southern Miss plus six and a half at Troy. Southern Miss undefeated against the spread. Like we said, we don't take our hands away from the ATM. As long as they're printing bills for us, we're going to keep our hand right there and just accept them, stack them up, put them in the wallet, come back next week and put our hand out. That's the way this thing works. Now, our at-your-own-risk pick, a little bit of a fun one. College game day is going to Lawrence, Kansas. For Kansas against TCU you're telling me for the first time ever game day goes to Kansas Kansas gets points they're plus seven and we're not taking America's team in the Jayhawks forget about it Jalen Daniels as of right now a dark horse Heisman candidate that's a real thing that we're saying right now it's not a meme it's not just for clicks and likes Real deal, Kansas plus seven against TCU. It's at your own risk, but we like it just the same. So, Fader, follow us there. To recap, we like App State minus nineteen and a half at Texas State. We like James Madison minus eleven and a half at Arkansas State. We like Kentucky minus ten against South Carolina. Kentucky gets them at home. We like North Carolina plus four and a half at Miami. We'll see what happens there, but Drake may's been dealing. Southern missed the walk-in ATM, plus six and a half at Troy. We like that a lot. Our at-your-own-risk pick is Kansas, plus seven against TCU with game day there. I don't see the Jayhawks not covering, right? Famous last words, but those are the picks that we like. Okie doke. We're coming up on an hour here. Nick Brake and I were talking about length before the show, and I was substantially off on how long I thought that this program would take, but thank you so much for tuning in with us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the channel and stay with everything that we're doing here. It helps us do more of what you like to see. All right? We're also on podcasts. We're on Apple if you like Apple. We're on Spotify if you like Spotify. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find the hard count. We don't want you to miss an episode. We are live this coming Sunday. Okay? So don't miss it. We're going to be live. We're going to invite you to the party. Do some question and answer. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. Until then, we're going to keep the party rolling. We will see y'all next time.